Magazines and Monsters, Episode 6, Unearthly Stranger. Hey, everybody. Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here. I'm back with another episode and discussing another film. This is a rare one from 1964 or 1963, depending on uh, uh, which website you consult. It's a British sci-fi film called Unearthly Stranger. Uh, my co-host for this episode needs no introduction, but of course I will give her one anyway. Uh, you may know her from the awesome comic book blog, Bronze Age Babies, with her cohort Doug, or perhaps as one of the co-hosts of the film podcast, Planet 8 Podcast. And she's even started her own blog, Echoes from the Satellite. Please welcome Karen. How are you, Karen? Hey, Billy. I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. So I wanted to have you on for sure to talk about kind of, you know, comic books, movies, anything, because I know we have a lot of the same likes with comics and movies. Oh, but sure. defi definitely I know you are one of the biggest sci-fi aficionados I know. <laughs> I know I know you love your sci-fi. So that's oh, definitely... Yeah. I saw this film a couple years ago, and I've kind of been sitting on it for a while, and I don't know what sparked it up recently again, and I thought, oh, this would be perfect for Karen. And then when I threw it out there and you said that you hadn't seen it, I was like, oh, good, because I knew you would uh, like to see something you hadn't seen in the mm -hmm. sci-fi genre. So um, how did you get into sci-fi in the first place? Well, uh, I really owe a lot of that to my, my mom and my brother. So uh, my mom, she was uh, always interested in... Uh, more horror than sci-fi, but she uh, was definitely interested in uh, things like Twilight Zone and Outer Limits, um, anything really kind of offbeat. And uh, she got uh, both me and my brother into that. My brother, Steve, is about six years older than me. And so uh, I always kind of followed his lead on a lot of things <laughs> when I was a kid. And uh, so he was really into Star Trek and he was watching it when it first came on. I was a little too young for it uh, when it first came out. But, uh, you know, I was kind of obsessed with uh, with Star Trek uh, later on. And uh, some of the other stuff that, uh, you know, really caught my eye as a kid was things like Planet of the Apes. I know you know I'm obsessed with Planet mm. of the Apes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, we have our, our little circle on Twitter that uh, <laughs> has to talk about Planet of the Apes all the time. Um, but there was like a, a number of things uh, as a kid that um, sort of even, you know, Star Wars was a big thing, but even pre-Star Wars, there was like Star Trek. Um, there was Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a lot of stuff that, you know, has, has kind of maybe fallen to the wayside now, but there were a lot of great sci-fi films in the seventies. You know, there was Logan's Run, there was mm -hmm. like Omega Man, you know, Chuck Heston did a, a whole bunch of sci-fi stuff, right? He did the Soylent yeah. Green, Omega Man. Planet of the Apes, all that. Um, you know, there was a lot of sci-fi that was um, from the 50s that we got to see on TV uh, because it was constantly churned up on like Saturdays and Sundays. Um, so all those sort of like atomic terror kind of films with the, you know, giant radioactive monsters and things like that. Um, you know, and of course, uh, when I was coming of age that, you know, the space program was sort of on its last legs. I, I hate to say that, but it sort of <laughs> was. Um, but there was still sort of a glow around, you know, Apollo and the achievements of that. And there were a lot of, um, of films and TV shows that were still building off that momentum. 
Um, you know, so we had, uh, well, obviously 2001 is, mm. you know, the pinnacle of all that, you know, looking at, at what we might achieve and what kind of things might be waiting for us out there in space. Uh, but there were all sorts of, you know, lesser films and, and TV shows that were um, focused on space travel. And so, you know, there were just so many things that were out there for us um, as a kid growing up in the, you know, in the 70s. Um, I think I'm a little bit older than you, but, you know, those were just things that were constantly around sort of on TV and, and uh not maybe not as much in the movies, but you know they were there. And then as I got older, you know, I, I was able to um, kind of uh, move into the the DVD era, and the, I guess before that the VHS era, <laughs> and see <laughs> stuff out. But yeah, it's just been a constant interest. And of course, I was reading sci-fi as well, so that's um, you know another big source of of uh, interest and, and uh, speculation and drive for me all my life is um, all the different works uh, in science fiction. And, you know, so many of those wind up getting adapted into film too. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's just been, you know, a constant source of enjoyment <laughs> in my life. Yeah. It's always been a visual medium for me except for a comic book, you know, sci-fi, but I, I definitely want to, you know, um, read some uh, sci-fi as well, because, I mean, you have some of these absolutely stellar authors that, you know, as early as the 1940s, even in, you know, uh, magazines and books were writing some great sci-fi. And that's something I definitely want to get into. So I'll definitely have to hit you up for some recommendations after we're done talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would. <laughs> and you already hit on a couple uh, TV shows and and films as well, like Planet of the Apes in 2001. Um, what are some of your other favorites? Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, Star Wars really changed a lot of things when it came out. And, and you could always argue, you know, for the worse or for the better. Um, you know, I think it's easy to kind of uh, make a lot of negative comments about Star Wars as far as, well, it was, you know, space opera and it kind of dumbed down things. but I think on a visual scale, Star Wars really upped the ante. And I know that as a kid sitting there in the theater when the first Star Wars film came out, and I'm always going to call it Star Wars. I'm ne probably never going to call it A New Hope. <laughs> Me um, neither. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, you know, the film opens and this huge Star Destroyer comes over your head and the rumble from the speakers. I mean, this was a real experience for people it, it uh it's hard to explain if if you didn't have that first viewing of star wars in the theater like that um how almost life altering that was to be in a theater with a big screen and have that that ship come overhead um which is why i always think of star wars as a more visceral a more visual uh uh you know sci-fi experience as opposed to something like star trek which i i love deeply but star trek is much more about concepts and ideas and i don't think it's you know even though they've tried to kind of turn it into an action show now uh, i don't think that's it's that's its best uh best form you know yeah um but i think you know star wars did do something where it showed people that yeah you know you can have these amazing uh, visuals and amazing adventures and things in space. 
And, uh, you know, I do love like the original trilogy. I really, really love that original trilogy for what it is. Um, you know, I love uh, uh, 2001. I love uh, the whole story of it. It's one of those things I'm not going to sit down and, you know, watch it with a big bowl of popcorn or something. I have to be in the right frame of mind. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I think it's a great film, uh, not just a great science fiction film. Mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, you know, and some people would think this is crazy, but I like the original, the first Star Trek, the motion picture as well, because I think they were kind of trying to do their version of um, 2001 uh, in a way, you know, they were trying to have their big idea movie and uh, there's still a lot of things. They, they didn't necessarily hit the mark they were aiming for, but uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things in that film. And I think it's the Star Trek movie that is most like the original series. Um, so, it, yeah. you know, it's got a lot of uh, great concepts. Uh, and I guess in moving into, you know, a little further out, uh, there's a lot of other films that I really enjoy, like uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, mm. uh, Alien, mm -hmm. uh, Predator is another great combination of different genres. You know, you start off thinking it's sort of an action film and then it combines elements of sci-fi and, uh, and uh, horror. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, and I, I think we're living in an age of sort of luxury in that we have so many different, you know, sci-fi, uh, superhero, fantasy movies to choose from nowadays. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, Star Trek and Star Wars, when I was a kid, I loved Star Wars. That was the end-all, be-all for me. Mm -hmm. And Star Trek was just, eh, it was okay. And now <laughs> it's, it's, it's the complete opposite. I absolutely love Star Trek, the original series and the first couple movies, and I can watch them on repeat. And Star Wars is just like, eh, I don't even, I haven't even checked out a couple of the newer movies because it just, I don't know, I just totally fell out of interest for me. I don't know why, but that's that's how it happened for me. I, I got older, I was more of a <laughs> Star Trek and less of a Star <laughs> Wars. Not sure why that is, but it, that's that's how it is. <laughs> well, we, you know, we all change and our interests change. And I know I've kind of gone back and forth with both Star Trek and Star Wars, you know, maybe one year I'm more interested in one. I, I think my interest in Star Wars had waned quite a bit until The Mandalorian came out. And then it was like, oh, mm. this is a nice, you know, interesting uh, way to recapture some of the old spirit of it, but with a, a brand new story. So. Yeah, I still need to see that. So I'm really way behind on, I haven't gotten Disney Plus yet. So I'm behind on everything that's been on oh, there. You'll have so much to watch when you get it. Mm, yeah, I mean, I didn't even get to see Vision and Scarlet Witch. And I didn't get to see, you know, I guess what is uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon. Is that half over already too? I didn't get to see any of that. Yet. So it's like, oh, it's driving me crazy. Uh, you'll just have so much to look forward to. Yeah, and I don't mind stuff being spoiled either. Some people are like, don't tell me this, don't tell me. It doesn't really bother me that much. It never has, not even, you know, e not ever in my lifetime has it bothered me, like, sp something being spoiled for me. It's still, to me, when I watch it then, it still blows me away. Well, you're lucky that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> it's, nowadays, it's so hard to keep from getting things oh, spoiled. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, especially with, you know, social media, you can forget it. There's oh, yeah. people talking about stuff five minutes after the show ended. <laughs> exactly. Mm, crazy. 
Okay, well, all right, let's get into this one a little bit here. So let's talk about uh, some of the behind the scenes. So the director was a guy named John Krish, and I had never heard of him. And when I looked him up, yeah, there really wasn't, I think this might have been his only sci-fi. Everything else was kind of just, you know, your average fare for the 60s. Um, He wasn't somebody I'd heard of, and when I looked at his list of credits, I thought, yeah, there's not much on there I've ever heard of or ever seen for sure. Um, and then same thing with a lot of the production people too. Not, mm-hmm. not really something. I mean, the one producer, um, oh gosh, is it Albert Fennell? Fennell? Yeah. Um, I think he produced The Innocence, which that's a, a British, you know, kind oh, of, right. yeah, film, the horror, I don't know if you consider horror or whatever film. And then he did some Avengers, the Avengers TV show, not the, you know, Marvel Avengers for right. <laughs> any of you <laughs> younger listeners, a, a television show from, uh, back in the 60s so that was something i recognized there but yeah pretty much a lot of the people behind the scenes here i was like wow i do not know these people like they're not your typical british um like none of them really were into the british horror scene from you know amicus or hammer or any of the the bigger studios that i saw yeah that that was the same with me i i you know i have some knowledge of the hammer folks and maybe some other, you know, film folks, but then after that, it's pretty slim. And I, I was trying to look these guys up and the same as you, I was like, I don't really recognize (laughs) the the production people. Yeah. I mean the cast though, I mean, though I recognize a couple of those faces there, like the, the, one of the main characters, John Neville, you know, that plays Dr. Mark Davidson. I know you're going to recognize him from a Star Trek uh, (laughs) reference there. Right. Well, and it was funny because when I first saw him, I was like, oh, I met this guy. He looks so familiar. And I looked him up. And of course, he had been uh, Baron Munchausen mm-hmm. in uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I was like, well, yes, of course. And then, yeah, further on, he had been in uh, Star Trek as uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Mm-hmm. And you can just, he has such a, a very uh, unique face. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very recognizable. So you see him on the screen and you go, Oh yeah, I know who this guy is, but where do I know him from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. He's got one of those faces. Yeah. And that's funny. Cause like, you know, back to the star Trek, uh, I saw the next generation right when it came out on television. And I remember liking it quite a bit. And my parents actually watched either most of it or all of it. Um, so that was cool. I was like, I can always look back on that and think, Hey, my parents were kind of of cool. You know, back then I thought they were, but now I'm like, Hey, that was pretty cool. How many parents were sitting now watching Star Trek, the next generation? Probably not many. (laughs) So, um, and then, all right, let's move on. Philip Stone. Um, he wasn't really somebody I knew either. I mean, he's got a huge list of films that he's been in, but he wasn't somebody, um, he was Professor John Lancaster, and I kind of looked, he did look a little familiar to me, but I wasn't sure from where, you know, he was, again, another one of those faces where you're like, mm, he looks kind of familiar, but offhand, you're like, I couldn't tell you what he was in, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I had the same feeling. Uh, you know, the only other person who was um, immediately recognizable to me was the secretary who hmm. was Jean Marsh. Okay. And I, I recognized her. And again, it was one of those things like, oh, I, I know who that is. Uh, I didn't know, you know, immediately like where I knew her from. Uh, and I had to go and, and kind of look around. And now I didn't watch Upstairs, Downstairs, but I know that's a very popular show 
mm-hmm. that's you know over here been on PBS and and she was in that. But she's been in a number of different films like Willow. Mm-hmm. I mean, genre-related films like Willow, mm-hmm. Return to Oz, The Changeling, and so mm-hmm. she's she's and she always seems to be uh, to me because I remember seeing her in different things, sort of very you know prim and proper kind of uh, a character, and so seeing her in that role, it was like, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've seen her in this kind of a, a role before, so she yeah. she stood out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and the, I love the Changeling. That's a good film. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, she she didn't. I didn't recognize her at all. But I saw she did, has a ton of writing credits as well. So that was something like I don't know if it's as, as many as the acting, but it was quite a bit of writing credits as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So, and then one guy I did recognize, and he had been in a couple of Hammer films and another one of my favorite kind of B movie kind of horror films uh, is Warren Mitchell who uh, we'll talk about in a minute here. He doesn't <laughs> make it too far in the film, oh, Professor yes. Monroe. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, now that you mention it, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he had, I, I recognized him right away from the Trollenberg Terror, That's or Crawling Eye, as it was called over here in the United States. I recognized oh, okay. him right away from that, because I love that movie. And then um, he had a small part in Curse of the Werewolf, which is a 1961 film from mm-hmm. Hammer. And then... Hell is a City, which is like a crime noir film Hammer did before, you know, their horror stuff really super kicked in and got crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a little bit from that, and I saw that. Because I just saw that recently, because I had been wanting to see it for a long time, and I finally found it somewhere I could watch it. It's not bad. I mean, I'm not a huge crime noir guy, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like really, <laughs> really crazy, like very violent film. Um, but I recognize them from there, too, so... But, um, yeah, and I mean, it's a very small cast. There's really like, what, six people? <laughs> yeah, it, it's almost like they could have done a stage play. It's They don't have a lot of locations. It's small cast. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's like, it's very, this movie is very suspenseful. Um, I know, you know, we talked a little bit uh, before the show and, one of the things that struck me, like you said, you know, I had no idea going into this what this was going to be like, because mm-hmm. it's, it, I, I looked for reference, you know, I was looking at some of my books and looking around the net, and um, it's not real well known, so mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out like, well, what is this, you know, what is this, I haven't, I don't remember this, um, I did just look a little bit at the wiki, I didn't want to read the whole thing, because I wanted to be surprised. Mm-hmm. And I got to kind of the point where it sort of described a little bit about the plot. And I, I was like, well, what can I compare this to? And I thought, maybe it's going to be like I married a monster from outer space. <laughs> it was nothing like that. <laughs> nothing at all like that. Um, you know, I mean, that I, I married a monster from outer space. So that's an American film from 1958. And... Um, it's very literal. I mean, you see the aliens, you, you, there's a, a, a lot of very, what you would expect in a, a 50s sci-fi movie from uh, that time period with, you know, a lot of flashy little effects and aliens running around and, you know, we've got to come here and 
get your women so we can repopulate. And um, I mean, it's not a bad film, actually, despite the title, but uh, very different in in um, mood and presentation than this film. Yeah, this one's I mean, when you look at all the elements in it, it's a pretty unique film. I don't I can't like you said, it's very, very difficult to try to uh, compare this film to anything else especially for its time. It's very, very, very uh, interesting film. So, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break here and then uh, I'm going to fire off the trailer and then we will be right back. dark street at night, a man runs for his very life, runs as if all hell were at his heels. In a little while, I expect to die, to be killed by something you and I know is here. What unearthly and fiendish fantasy can drive a man to the very edge of insanity? What terrible sequence of events can destroy a respectable scientist at the very moment he completes his experiments. The autopsy report called it hemorrhage of the brain. It seemed to me that an explosion had taken place right in the middle of his head. We're trying to find a way of projecting ourselves into another world through the power of thought. To man's without having used the conventional means of travel on the surface of another planet. What if they've already done it? Starring John Neville as the scientist engaged on space research, who suddenly finds his life a living nightmare. I'm telling you, I thought she was dead. She was lying on the bed with her eyes wide open. Philip Stone is Professor Lancaster, who only believes what he sees. Yet, could he believe what he saw? Gabriella Licudi as Julie, the wife who seems a stranger, almost an unearthly stranger. With Patrick Newell as the major whose job is security. But how do you guard against a force you cannot see? Your wife may come from anywhere. She may even come from out there. <laughs> Is there a power beyond time and space itself that can control a human brain? Can make it obey? Can make it kill? Okay, everybody, we're back. Um, I'm going to do a quick little synopsis here, and then uh, Karen and I will just get into talking about the film and what we thought about it and you know what uh, some of the major points were that we uh, thought needed to be addressed. So, All right, so the film begins with Dr. Mark Davidson running through the empty streets. 
He seems very distressed as if someone or something is chasing him. He reaches his work office and uses a recording device to say that there is some unseen threat that is going to kill him and possibly everyone. Flashback to an earlier time, and we see Professor Monroe come to that very same office of space research. And after he goes into his office, he leaves <clears throat> as an unusual sound that apparently kills him. The next day, we see Major Clark who's the head of security, and Professor Lancaster debating what happened and the possibility of the cause. They then go to the office of Dr. Davidson to ask him some questions. He can't give them too many answers, especially about his new wife, whom he married only two weeks ago. Clark and Lancaster then go back to their office down the hall and argue loudly. Davidson overhears this and decides to go to the morgue and see Professor Monroe's body. He discovers the body is missing and the casket is filled with bricks. The following day, he tells Professor Lancaster about it and the two of them go to the morgue, but the casket is gone. Mark goes home after a long day of work and finds his wife, Julie, asleep, but with her eyes wide open. The next day at work, he tells Professor Lancaster that something is wrong with his wife, that not only did she sleep with her eyes open, but she had no pulse and that she never blinked once. He convinces Lancaster to come to dinner that night. Professor Lancaster sees Julie then remove a hot dish from the oven with her bare hands. As the days pass by, Mark realizes something is definitely wrong. All right, Karen, let's just get right into this. So what, <laughs> what, what did you think overall of the film? Uh, overall, it was, it was uh, I found it really interesting. Um, definitely, I... I know it's, I mean, it's sci-fi, but it felt much more like a suspense film to me than a sci-fi film. It's a suspense mm -hmm. film with sci-fi elements. It's a sci-fi film with suspense elements. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting. I wanted to, like, find out, well, where is this going to go? You know, so the, the mystery had to be solved. Um, I, uh, I thought it had, like, a, a, some interesting concepts, like this whole idea that they were going to like they had this space program that revolved around this idea that they would somehow project themselves to other worlds through like mental projection or I don't know, mm -hmm. astral projection or something. It was really um, bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it was sort of like, well, where, where is this coming from? It just seemed like such a, a strange concept that I had never seen in any other film. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. and then there there was a lot of um, I don't know stuff that I guess felt almost like social commentary where <laughs> they're, yeah. they're like fearful of the Swiss wife, like oh she's well she's Swiss you know, <laughs> uh, like oh wow she's Swiss that's weird. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of strange things in this. Like, there's, you know, the whole fear of the other, which is common in sci-fi films. Mm -hmm. um, so it has a lot of elements that you might find in, in sci-fi with sort of the, the, you know, outrageous ideas, the fear of the other, um, sort of the paranoia, which I think is pretty common in the Cold War kind mm -hmm. of films. Um, oh, yeah. But it, a lot of really unusual concepts and unusual execution because there were a lot of strange, like camera angles 
um, strange movements of the camera, which I noticed. Not, not necessarily, I don't mean strange in the sense of bad, uh, but unusual, you know, mm. just like I, you wouldn't normally see. So very interesting. Yeah, like you said, the whole angle of like some kind of psychic powers to transcend space and time, that was really strange. That was the one thing out of this whole movie that I would just think that I wouldn't say it seems out of place, but it's definitely very different not anything else you saw in films sci-fi at the time yeah i i would love to know like where did that idea come from because almost every other sci-fi film at the time that you know was going to deal in space travel was going to be about well we're going to build a rocket and, uh-huh. and we're going to go into outer space you know or maybe they would have a device that would teleport them you know that might be the most like outrageous thing. Well, we'll teleport to another planet. But this sounded like they would use simply their own mental willpower to project themselves. And I couldn't understand, was it physically or just mentally? And yeah, it was like, I kind of wanted to know more, but it was so, uh, so bizarre, you know? Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of tension in this film. It's really like that opening scene really sets the bar there for the tension in the movie. It's very tense, you think, at any moment. You know, as he's running through the streets and then gets to the office that something really bad is going to happen to to the character, you know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Davidson there. But, yeah, like you said, too, some social commentary in there, too. It's interesting. At one point when uh, Professor Lancaster and the security guy, uh, Major Clark, are having a conversation, you know, Major Clark basically says that, well, you know, this Professor Monroe that just died from these unknown causes you know, the same thing supposedly happened in Russia and same thing happened to a couple of scientists in the United States. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I thought, oh, okay. And then, of course, Professor Lancaster, he's been friends with Dr. Davidson for 15 years. So he's like, hey, he has a right to know if there's something dangerous here. And Major Clark, you know, makes a comment like, yeah, no, he doesn't need to know that. And then they get into a bit of a little, I wouldn't say an argument, but they go back and forth a couple of times about, you know, individual, you know, rights and or what's best for the group, you know, what's, what's, it does what's best for Great Britain, you know, outweigh, you know, basically Davidson's, you know, life or his, his security. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting. I was like, well, that's an interesting little thing for 1964 there. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Clark was a strange character as well. Uh, (laughs) He was, (laughs) you know, couldn't, couldn't quite figure out uh, his personal angle on things. And, he almost seemed to, you know, be gleeful uh, with the suffering of some of the other characters. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, but yeah, conspiracies and aliens and a cover-up, which, you know, that's, I love that because it's just as true now as it was back in the 60s. You know how it is like, you know, Major Clark is just like always wants to keep a lid on everything, always mm-hmm. wants to keep everything a secret, doesn't want anything to get out, even if it, you know, could save lives because it might also be, you know, mass hysteria. Like I think, yep, nothing's really changed <laughs> yeah. on the on the planet in 2021 compared to them. There are some things that are timeless, right, and our ability to, uh, uh, you know, motivate ourselves into its extreme state of paranoia is <laughs> one of those things uh yeah there, there is that feeling of of um extreme 
almost, I don't want to say claustrophobia, but it's a, a sense of being almost smothered in this, where it's like, who, who could you trust? You know, if you put yourself in the shoes of Dr. Davidson, um, I don't know that you would feel like you could really trust any of your colleagues um, the way things were going down in this, this film. Yeah, it really, it was, it almost had, you know, like you said earlier, one of your favorite sci-fi films, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, not quite at that level of paranoia and, you know, tension, but it's, it's along that line. Yeah, there's definitely that, that strong feeling of there's, you know, there's an undercurrent, there's something going on. He's, he can't really quite figure out what it is. He doesn't know who to turn to. Um, He's in love with this woman, but Mm-hmm. There's also the sense that she is dangerous. And uh, yeah, and then, you know, I don't know how much we want to say about the ending, but it I don't know. I thought it was somewhat poignant uh, at the end um, with uh, what ultimately happens with her, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of. I don't want to say it's a sad ending, but sort of, you know, it, and it definitely went down a road. I didn't think it was going to eat her. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, it's just going to be, yep, his wife's an alien and she's going to help kill him or help take over and this and that. But she ends up, you know, spo- spoiler alert, we can say a little bit about it if we want. She ends up, you know, having feelings for him and, and doesn't want anything bad to happen to him or these other researchers. But, you know, the the, the collective... uh Aliens have different ideas. Yeah, it's, that ending too is is uh, pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of sort of um, oh, what's the uh, like Children of the Damned and some of these other films where you've got all the uh, or Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You know, you've got a, a, a group of the other and they're all standing around and it's like. Uh, oh, I better get the heck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in big trouble. Um, well, some of the, my favorite scenes, though, how about you? Like, my, I love that scene where, you know, the wife, Julie, opens the oven oh, with her bare man. hands, pulls that dish out. The first time I saw this, I was like, holy crap. I'm like, well, I guess we know something's up with her. Like, wow. Yeah, that was a, a real simple way to demonstrate that she's definitely not human. Um, that was, yeah, that was pretty good. And I also like the scene where she walks by the school and they, I don't know, they got all those little kids to just suddenly back up and walk backwards, um, away from her. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of goofy, but it's also kind of, you know, it's kind of effective to see all these little kids walking away backwards, uh, from her. And, you know, and she's upset by it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, I, I don't know, that was that was another scene that kind of stands out in my head. Yeah, um, one, there's one scene that I didn't notice the first time or two I saw this film. But I did notice it just the other night when I watched it again. So there's one point when they're in the office, and most of this movie takes place in this uh, space research, you know, office, lab, whatever you want to call it. And then a little bit... Uh, at the home of uh, Mark and Julie, but they're in the office and the secretary, uh, Miss Ballard, um, she is constantly always banging away on the typewriter while, you know, the guys are yelling at each other and running around and 
files and this and that, you know, typical office work. But she's always, you know, kind of just doing her thing. Well, at one point, she says she's going to call Dr. Davidson. And it's funny because she's like, yeah, I'll call him. But immediately when the other person closes the door, you just hear her immediately go back to the typewriter as if she never does. <laughs> Almost, And I thought to myself, oh, was that like kind of a, a, a telltale sign there? Some foreshadowing that, you know, she's one of them. And that's why she wasn't going to call because that initial scientist in the beginning, that uh, Professor Monroe that dies, you know, two minutes into the film, five <laughs> minutes into the film, um, he was on to something, you know, and, and he was had cracked the code of basically how they were going to be able to to do that whole, you know, project mm -hmm. their mind into space and time. And, you know, these these this alien force doesn't want them to be able to do that. So they killed the guy, basically. And I thought, oh, so did he say, hey, call Mark because he was going to tell him the secret and he went in and closed the door. And she's like, yeah, I'll call him. But just kept typing away. And then, boom, he gets killed. Uh -huh, so I, thought, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah, that was wild. I thought, oh, OK, I'm, I'm hoping they did that on purpose. And it was just <laughs> a, a snafu. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that when I watched it the other night. Very interesting. Yeah, and then it was funny too when Major Clark is questioning uh Mark about his wife Julie. He says, and it's no one uses this term now, but I guess maybe back then people did, but is it another like double meeting where he's like, you know, she's not British, she's an alien yeah. she's from a different country. <laughs> so I, that I, gave me a chuckle. Yeah, I did hear that. And I was like, well. Maybe more than you know. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I like that a lot. But like you said, he was a really quirky character. He was oh, yeah. a little almost bizarre at times and just kind of smirking about bad situations and saying some really strange stuff. Because there was yeah. a little bit there where I thought, oh, maybe he's in on it, too. You know what well, I mean? I thought that's what I was thinking. And I almost wondered, like, did they do that intentionally just to kind of keep you on your toes? You know? Yeah, kind of throw you off. Because then he at one point went and visited julie at her and mark's home when she was home alone there and then we do see him after that and he does act weird but he always acted weird so <laughs> i don't know if you know something happened there or she just told him a bunch of lies or i don't know you don't know what happened because again right. his character was so bizarre it's, it's not like a, you could yeah yeah it's i i definitely think they're that was intentional because <laughs> i i don't know why else they would do it but yeah, he was definitely a strange bird. Yeah, that, I think he played the part well, but yeah, that was a very strange character and strange part there for sure. <laughs> okay, so what else did you think about this one? So how about, like we said, we kind of alluded to the ending a little bit, and we don't want to maybe give everything away. We kind of gave most of it away, though. But <laughs> what what do you think about how they used just one certain type of person as the way in here, these aliens? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's the 60s. Um, <laughs> things are different. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing you bump up against all the time when you evaluate works from from you know older times is you're going to have issues of either sexism or racism or you know what have you because times are a little different um so i i don't know it it uh it didn't really 
bother me that much. I mean, it kind of makes sense for the kind of infiltration that the aliens were trying to do. Um, I didn't feel it was especially over the top in, in any of the, uh, the ways that, um, you know, they depicted the characters or anything. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, I, I didn't have any real issues with it. I mean, certainly there have been other films I've, I've gone back and watched and kind of shaken my head, or I have that same issue with a lot of the comics from the 60s, you know, you'll see women portrayed really poorly, um, that kind of thing. Um, but no, I didn't have too many problems with it in this. Yeah, like you said, a lot of those movies, sometimes they'll be Almost in every one of them, there'll be one kind of uh, kind of cringy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I can't remember which film it is. It's one of the big, you know, radioactive, like something or other turned a, a lizard big or a bug or something like that. And what does the one line say from the one woman? She says something about, oh, I even have to, I have to get my hair done. And I'm like... <laughs> Of course she does. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Well, but there, I'll tell there you. Really, there really uh, wasn't any of that here, though. Right. It was, you know, I thought that um, there was respect from, like, the, the husband respected the wife and treated her mm-hmm. well, and they didn't make her out as, uh, you know, dim-witted or hysterical or anything like that, really. So, uh, yeah, it, you know, it worked out fine. I mean... You know, in this film, the wife is the alien. If you go back to like, not to keep going back to like, I married a monster from outer space, that the husband is the alien. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if you're going to infiltrate Earth and, (laughs) uh, you know, go after one sex or the other, okay, well, you know, you've got got to take over one one sex or the other. So do do it as you may, you know. Yeah, for sure. All right. So with that being said, any final thoughts on this one? I think it's an interesting film. And I think it's for me, especially, I, I haven't seen uh, a lot of British sci-fi. It's something I probably need to um, rectify, you know, sometime here in the, the future. Um, British horror, certainly, you know, that's you, you've got to see like Hammer films and Amicus and things mm-hmm. like that. Um but uh, I was really taken by, it's such a thoughtful approach to the subject and it stands out in contrast to a lot of what was going on, um, say with American sci-fi cinema at this time. Um, it's a very interesting film and I would, I would say, you know, if somebody can, can see it, I mean, we had to go to daily motion to, <laughs> to, to <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's not necessarily an easy film to to get a hold of, uh, but I think it's worth seeing, uh, just as an example of you know here's something that you know they were doing and it's it stands out and it really um, is quite different from a lot of other films at the time. I think it's just a, I don't know it's it's different you know it's more thoughtful more suspenseful. Um, than a lot of other examples of sci-fi that you might find in the early 60s. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, it's just, 
it's got a lot of uniqueness to it, so it's definitely one to look up, but good luck, because, <laughs> I mean, like I said, you can find there was a, a DVD, maybe even, a, I don't know about a Blu-ray, but there's definitely at least a DVD release of it, but it's only Region 2, so you need a Region 3 player to uh, to be able to enjoy it, but it, it can be had over here in the States, but just, like I said, just Region 2. But, not um, yeah, not at all, because a lot of ones online, you can find them here and there. They pop up now and again or YouTube or archive.org or whatever, but not this film. It's weird. It's just it's not <laughs> it's just not around. <laughs> but um, if you're looking for British sci fi, I will recommend one for you. It's a uh, 1953 and it was Hammer. It's called Four Sided Triangle. You ever see that? <sighs> I have heard of it. I've read about it. And that's, yeah, one of those things that's on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would recommend it. Yes, it's very, it, it does have some of the tropes of the time in it, but it's it's really good. And it was, um, the the guy that directed it was, uh, I think it was Terrence Fisher, who was the, mm-hmm. the guy at Hammer that did right. most of the very popular and famous horror movies from the late 50s to the late 60s but uh he's a really good director and i'm pretty sure he's a director of that one so yeah definitely check that one out if you get the shot um and i do know it was based off of a novel that i've had a couple of people say the novel was pretty good too so yeah i yeah. need to see that i still need to see the other two Quatermass films too i haven't i can't believe i'm saying it but i haven't seen those either so yeah, they're both very good as well. I think the third one's the best because I think the cast is the best and it had the higher production values mm-hmm. to it. But it's the first two are definitely good sci-fi, you know, good 1950s sci-fi for sure. I haven't seen the people keep telling me the there was a television serial. Yeah. Um, and I I've haven't s- seen that. I've seen uh, pieces of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. One of these days I would like to sit down and see the whole thing. I've only seen parts of it. Uh, but I have to say, I'm, I'm, you know, more partial to the, the film. Um, that's, I think at one of these days on Planet 8, if we get our act together, we'll make our top 10 lists. And uh, Quatermass would be on my top 10. I don't think the guys would have it on their top 10. <laughs> but Quatermass in the pit would be in my top 10 for sure. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. That film had such an impact on me as a kid. Um, and even today, I, you know, if I watch it, I, I bought the uh, Blu-ray, I think Shout Factory put mm. it out and it looks gorgeous. And, uh, I don't care. Those Martians look fine to me. I have no problem with them. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't either. I, again, you got to put it in the context of the times. It was 1967, right. I think. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey. You got to use your imagination a little bit, so um, yeah. it all looks good to me. Yeah, Barbara Shelley was great in that one. <laughs> I really like her a lot. Well, she how many? Uh, she was in a number of Hammer films, wasn't she? Yeah, she really was. And I mean, that one, some of them. I mean, she was in The Gorgon, and she was in uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, oh, okay. and then oh, oh yeah. No, the Rasputin, the Mad Monk. That one's really good, too. She's pretty good in that one. Oh, this just makes me want to go and throw a bunch of Hammer films in the mm. player, Billy, and sit up mm-hmm. all night. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I do that. I, I watch Hammer basically on a weekly basis. I, I can't. Some of the films I've seen dozens of times, but they're 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 my favorite. So I can always there's those. It's like comfort food. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hear you. 
All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up here. So, Karen, um, where can everybody find you online if they want to uh, seek you out? Oh, wow. Well, like you said, um, you know, Doug Wadley and I used to do a Bronze Age Babies uh, blog for, oh, my gosh, about seven years. Uh, Doug is still continuing Bronze Age Babies as a Twitter feed. Um, I have my own Twitter feed uh, under uh Walker K20 over on Twitter. Um, and I work uh, with Bob Johnson and Larry Kakos on the Planet 8 uh, podcast. So, um, you know, you can just look up uh, planet8podcast.com. And we're going on about three years now of, of doing our podcast. Um, so that has been uh, a lot of fun working with those guys. And you know, we just basically, uh, the idea behind it was sort of like three friends getting together, having conversations about their favorite, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror films and TV shows. So um, if, if people are into that, then, you know, hopefully they'll uh, tune into the podcast. But uh, yeah, that's basically uh, what I'm up to. Occasionally, I haven't been very good at posting on Echoes from the Satellite, but uh, hopefully I'll get some new posts up there soon, too. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, Planet 8, like you said, you guys have, you'll do sometimes a, a television show. Sometimes it's a big budget film. Sometimes it's a, a smaller film. You guys have a, a decent uh, library built up there already. <laughs> yeah, we try to do a couple of uh, episodes a month. And uh, yeah, we don't discriminate. You know, it's like <laughs> whatever we like, <laughs> we'll do it. If it's something new that came out, we like it, we'll do it. If it's some obscure, you know, TV show from the 60s will do it. It just whatever strikes our fancy, pretty much. That's the way to do it. That's the way I used to blog. And that's how I, you know, record stuff, too. It's just like I want to do what's fun and what I'm into. And it doesn't mean you can't be critical of something, but I always look for something that I know is going to be fun for me and whoever I'm talking to as well, just because that makes it just 10 times better. <laughs> right. I think it's the way the way to do it right and if you're mm -hmm. enjoying what you do then hopefully the the people listening will enjoy it as well yeah for sure so all right karen thank you once again for coming on here i appreciate it and i am definitely going to heckle you again in the future when i come across something else sci-fi that i know will definitely interest you <laughs> well great billy and thanks for having me i really enjoyed uh talking with you and watching the film and uh, i look forward to any other suggestions you might have Okay, cool. All right, I'll be back in a minute to wrap up the show. Thanks. Okay, everybody, that wraps up episode six of Magazines and Monsters. I want to thank Karen once again for coming on the show. Uh, she's a great guest and a great follow on Twitter and awesome person as well. So definitely check her out on Echoes from the Satellite, her blog. Planet 8 uh, podcast and then like I said also on Twitter as well and I'll have all the links in the show notes for that so again thanks again for everybody tuning in and I will have another episode coming out very soon hopefully episode 7 will be out no more than two weeks after this episode drops and that's going to be uh, another special guest and we're going to be talking some EC horror comics so get ready alright everybody thanks see you next time <laughs>